You're listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. And Greg Olson just sign already? I, I'm getting impatient. I'm getting impatient, guys. Greg Watts 2020. No. He's out there. He's deciding on things. Seahawks fans waiting on bated breath for any kind of announcement from him. Who knows when that's going to come, but his visits to Seattle, Buffalo, and Washington, they're concluded. So now we just have to play the waiting game with Greg Olson. But what we do not have to play the waiting game for today is the Seattle Dragons home opener, which comes our way at 2 o'clock today over at CenturyLink Field. If you're among the 30,000 who are going to be in attendance today, text in 710-710 if you're going to be there. Uh, how how excited are you for spring football here in Seattle? Something that I don't think we've ever had in this town, spring football. I can't remember anything. Graz is probably the one person that yeah. could maybe have a memory of something like right? that. Right? You get the spring game. You get your you college true. spring game, but not, nothing like this. Yeah, even I, I can't think of any semi-professional leagues even starting in the spring either, so... Very excited. Very excited. Yeah, if you watched the XFL last week, got a little bit of a uh, preview of what you could see here today. I'm excited for week two because I think last week you got that new league smell. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week now you're you're getting into it really. I think there's going to be a lot of more storylines with the players rather than just, you know, oh, this is all new. This is new. Everything's new. I think you're going to finally start to see, you know, decisions getting questioned with coaches Maybe players, you know, oh, maybe you should put this guy over here. I'm I'm looking forward to getting into those kinds of conversations about the Dragons. Uh, but still, it's really cool to see the success that the league had in week one, kind of proving that maybe there is an appetite for spring football in, in Americans' pro sports. I loved hearing the stories of the players, too. I'll never get tired of that because I think sometimes when athletes are larger than life, we can disassociate because we can't relate to anything. The large contracts, the celebrity lifestyle, the, you know, sort of drama. Right. I mean, of course, C-Rods, you can. (laughs) But (laughs) but what I love hearing are these stories that seem so relatable to most of us, which is being told a million times no. Like being knocked down and having to get up, having to sacrifice to to play and follow your dreams. So pretty cool today. And Seattle, I think, going to blow everybody else out of the water in terms of fan response. Yeah, that's what I'm most excited to see. I'm the going crowd, I'm going to be there tonight or I guess it's that this afternoon rather mm-hmm. at 2 p.m. And uh, I, I want to see what Seattle fans are like in this new environment from high school games to college games to basketball games to any sort of sporting event here and to esports events here in Seattle just the fan support is always out of control it's one of the best just support cities in the world we love our things here in Seattle so i'm excited to see us add another thing to be excited about and i think more than in other football instances the crowd could have an influence on this because remember a lot of these times they're not going with the huddle, they're relying on their comms. So mm-hmm. imagine what crowd noise could actually do in this scenario. You might actually be able to cut off communication in some of these instances for the opposite team. So we'll see how loud it gets at CenturyLink Field because the crowd can could really have an impact on this game. I think one thing I'm going to be looking for with the crowd today is all the teams in town sort of have these like fan traditions, whether it be like uh, Mariners games, Louie Louie in the seventh inning, yeah. or you've got – 
the raising the twelfth man flag with the uh, with the Seahawks, and there's nothing like that that exists amongst the Dragons fan base right now. And maybe there's something that happens today that becomes sort of like a you know just cemented into the fabric of this team right now. I mean that it's that's the beauty of everything happening right now is that you know it's brand new, and we're going to experience this. Uh, in next year too, uh, you know, late in 2021 with the NHL team. Let's so go. building something from scratch. How often do you get to do that? Apparently, quite often Twice. here <laughs> in, this, if you're in uh, Seattle, um, numerous times. Maybe yeah. in a few more. Who knows? Who knows? Let's get into this hour's big three. Number one. Well, the Huskies. Oof. Seven straight L's for the Dogs after falling to USC 62-56. A ton of questions now emerging on Montlake with not a lot of answers with this Husky team. Currently sitting at 2-10 in conference play. That is the the sole possession of last place in the Pac-12. And they're sitting at 12-13, under 500 on the season. It's not all bad news here in the Pac-12, though. Joe Lenardi currently projecting six Pac-12 schools to make the NCAA tourney, in spite of Commissioner Larry Scott, zing. Uh, Number 17, Oregon, and 16, Colorado, tied at the top of conference currently. But, Curtis, your Arizona Wildcats, bear down. Half game back, as well as ASU, but we don't have to worry about them, right? No. Uh, they're also half game back. So it'll be an interesting sort of final stretch of the season as the uh, dogs also got to end their season as Curtis and I were looking. Uh, they got to end their season down in the desert. So not a lot of good stuff to uh, be thinking about unless you're an Isaiah Stewart fan because he has been dominant uh, for this dogs team. But other than that, a lot of question marks, not a lot of great things other than Isaiah Stewart. Number two. Pitchers and catchers, three of the most Beautiful words in all of sports. They have reported for spring training, specifically with the Mariners, they reported on the 12th. And a pair of familiar names have been the talk of camp so far for opposite reasons. Two players who I think will forever be linked to each other because they were once traded for each other. Let's start with the good. Taiwan Walker has rejoined the Mariners on a one-year $2 million deal with uh, incentives in that contract that can make it a $3 million deal. Walker spent the first seven seasons of his pro career in Seattle's organization from getting drafted in 2010 in the first round to being dealt away after the 2016 season, uh, spending the last three years with the Arizona Diamondbacks, three injury-plagued seasons for the 27-year-old righty. He's only 27. It feels Seven years in the majors and 27. It feels crazy. It feels like he's been around forever, but mm-hmm. Tywin Walker, only 27 years old. He'll be competing for a spot in the Mariners rotation with a few other candidates at the back end of the rotation like Justin Dunn and Wei-Yin Chen. It's not all good news, though, coming out of Mariners camp. Mitch Hanniger underwent his second procedure in three weeks. Now his timetable for recovery is completely unknown. After initially getting one that was around opening day, what does this mean for the right field job? Well, Jake Fraley, Braden Bishop, Carlos Gonzalez, those are three of the candidates right now that are vying for that right field job. We'll see how it plays out in spring training. But Mitch Hanniger suffering yet another setback. We will get into some of the biggest headlines from Mariners Camp coming up at 9.45 this morning. Number three. XFL Dragons home opener today. It's CenturyLink Field Football. I know. Can anyone make a dragon sound? 
That's that kind is of like a, it wasn't really It's kind trance. of like a bird. I liked it. You know what? We Birds can make like whatever jackets. sounds we want, right? And yeah. the crowd is going to be spectacular there today. 25,000 people plus uh, in the house for the inaugural home opener. Now, a couple of names popping up on the injury reports. People that will be out for the game today. Kaysen Williams, unfortunately, uh, for the second week in a row, not getting to see the local product. Uh, also, Isaiah Battle out. So the offensive line a little bit depleted at this point because they lost guard Cyril Richardson. He was placed on IR last week against the defenders. Also out of this game, tight end Cam Clear, doubtful center Dylan Day. And then a couple of questionables, including defensive tackle Anthony Moten, who was pretty much a force of nature for them on the D-line last week. So hopefully he'll be able to go. Brandon Silver's popping up as uh, probable because he had an ankle issue, came out of the game late last week. And B.J. Daniels stepped in. Mina Kimes would be all about a B.J. Daniels hero game today. But on the other side of it, Mark Tressman, Tampa Bay Vipers, they are coming off a rough loss to the New York Guardians last week where they weren't able to get into the end zone, only able to put up three points. That's when they were down 17-0. They kicked a field goal, which had a lot of people scratching their heads on Tressman's decision. Their quarterback, their starting quarterback, Aaron Murray, is not going to be in this game. So they might go with a committee, honestly, back there. Quinton Flowers is a name that a lot of people will probably recognize if they love college football and watched UCF at all, a four-year starter there but can use his legs, a dual threat, really. And uh, I think also Chase Litton, who was originally part of the Seattle Dragon squad, uh, but got traded away to the Tampa Bay Vipers. It'll be really interesting because both these teams were able to move the ball really well last week, and yet the final score didn't quite indicate you know, they just had some troubles in the red zone, had some trouble with key turnovers. Both teams had three giveaways, no takeaways, and uh, two interceptions thrown. So I think it'll come down to who can uh, clean up their mistakes this week, who can protect the football, as cheesy as that sounds. But as Taylor mentioned, I'm just hyped to see the crowd, man. I think this is going to be so much fun. Yeah, it's going to be an electric atmosphere over at CenturyLink Field this afternoon. Uh, text from the 425. I'm going and I'm excited. Woo! Exclamation mark. Shout out to the 425. They're going to be in attendance. Let's go. Uh, I believe a, a good handful of 710 personalities are going to be in attendance for the opener. We got the crew. Well. We got Brock on the sidelines as part That's of the right. broadcast. Then we got, yeah, like a ton. Dave Wyman has uh, season tickets, I think, with mm. his family. So this is going to be fun. Dave Wyman, will he be able to separate analysts from fan when he's sitting there? Will, will the people around him, you know, because when Dave watches a game, I don't know if you've ever been witness to it, but that he's got his football brain going and he is keen on like, every snap. Twitches and like moves. It was fun. <laughs> I watched the game with he and like Paul Moore, and they both will like break down for the tackle or like like shed a blocker in the press room. It's like guys, I what love the, it. What's going on here? It's great. It's it's um, if you're if you're sitting next to Dave Wyman today, first off, don't let him know that. You're listening to us because we want you to report to us and maybe like Ooh. take some some video. Wyman yeah. Insider, you can yeah. be our Wyman Insider Ooh, from absolutely. now on. Let's 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 do that. Uh, some honorable mentions uh, this week. Seattle had the highest ratings of any city for the XFL's opening week, putting in a six point four on ABC today. The game is on Fox, so make sure you you make note of that. Not on radio. A lot of yeah. questions coming in. There are no radio broadcasts of the Dragon Games for those asking. So you've got to either pull a stream up and just have it minimized if you want to listen to it. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, you've got to watch the broadcast to hear the game. Yeah. So that's going on today at 2 p.m. So big, big day for the Dragons here in the city of Seattle. Could possibly be a big day for the Seahawks 
if one Greg Olson is able to make a decision today on his future, maybe it is in Seattle. We'll talk that next here. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Greg Olson has got his decision to make about where he wants to play. Buffalo, Washington, and Seattle. Now, if you're picking a place to just visit, I think Seattle is number one in all that. Picking a place to play, I think Seattle is also number one to play. But you look at the teams that are jockeying for Olsen services, there are plenty of reasons for Olsen to pick the other two. Specifically, his ties to a lot of people in those organizations from his time in Carolina. You look at Buffalo, Sean McDermott, their head coach, was the Panthers' defensive coordinator for a long, a lot of time. Their GM, Brandon Bean, was Carolina's assistant GM. And then in Washington, Ron Rivera was his head coach for about a decade. So I imagine those, those bonds are very tight. But Greg Olson, I can't imagine as much left in the tank in terms of, you know, his career where, you know, he's probably not going to play three or four more years. I think that might be it in 2020. He doesn't have a Super Bowl ring. You look at these three teams, which of them, and I, I think I know the answer, which of them do you guys think is the closest to a Super Bowl? Yeah, well, the close, the team closest to the Super Bowl is the Seahawks. I mean, there's no doubt about that. The Bills, Buffalo looks good, but yeah. you're going through the AFC, and you have to beat – I think Baltimore, you're going to see a bounce back. I just think it's a tougher route. It's going to be Baltimore, Kansas City, the two of those teams going Maybe back Houston. and forth. Maybe Houston. If Tom Brady stays, you may get a, a New England you know, name thrown into the hat again, but that's four teams already before we're even getting to the Bills – it just feels like for him, in a one-year situation, if he truly wants to go shoot the moon and go for the title, Seattle is the best place. Now, it may not be the best if he wants to get career numbers or do something like that. Buffalo would most likely have him higher up their depth chart than us because if he comes into the, the Seahawks team, he's most likely going to be behind Will Disley when he comes back. And I believe they'll most likely try and get another tight end because I don't think they'll either it's Luke Wilson or Jacob Hollister. They'll try and get either one of them back or go and get someone else, but they have no depth other than that. So he would really be what a second string, third string tight end here in Seattle. And I think that's something we need to keep in perspective here that he is a big name. We know what he is and what he can do, but he's still going to provide a different role here than what people may be expecting just because of his name. Do you think you would be comfortable with that? I know that some players have an issue with not being number one on the jet chart, and others seem to be, they seem to have self-awareness when it comes to where they're at in their career, and and they're more team-oriented, I would say. So do you think that he is in the right headspace to, to, to have that mentality? Yeah, I think so. I think... The last couple of years in Carolina, I think he unfortunately dealt with so many injuries to where I think they kind of put in perspective his place in the league where, you know, the league kind of marches on without you. And for you to just be wanted by teams, I think that's a great spot to be in because if these if these team if no one wanted him, he wouldn't have gotten these three interviews. And really, he's kind of able to call his shot here. And where he wants to go, it's not like he's dealing with just one 
offer out on the table and it's from an organization that maybe won three games last year or something like that. These are you know, two playoff teams and a team that is undergoing a rebuild here. I think Greg Olson, he, he seems like the kind of guy to me that he's very grateful for opportunities that come his way. And I think that is going to be a big thing in, in his, maybe his final season. Like, yeah, I, I've, I'm getting this opportunity. I'm going to make the most of it. I look at just right now, the Seahawks, they jump out on the page to me because there is all those question marks you talked about, Taylor, in the tight end room. We don't know what Will Disley's health is going to be like next season. We don't know really anybody else beyond Jacob Hollister. I can't imagine Ed Dixon comes back, nope. uh, even though he's under contract. That was such a weird Yeah, he was tenure. healthy for like a day, if yeah. that. Was it a full day? I don't even know if like it was 18 full 24 hours. hours. Take, yeah. like a, take like a half day. You know how you had those in, in middle school every yeah. once in a while? The Wednesday half days. Kind of like a half day. But he's probably not coming back. Jacob Hollister was a nice addition last year, but can he do it again? Mm-hmm. Luke Wilson's a free agent. There's just a lot of question marks right now. Greg Olson would answer one of those questions, I would imagine. But you look at the potential figures that he could get. I think John Clayton has pointed out where he expects – Greg Olson to get between five and five and a half million dollars for a backup tight end. Is that a price you'd be willing to pay? Oh, Ooh, that, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> that's starter money. Right I mean, there. to be honest, the answer is no. I'm not that comfortable play, paying a tight end that'll be second or third string that much money. But you just have to also think about you, – last year and what you would have paid Greg Ol- to have a Greg Olson when all of those guys went down. Not that Luke Wilson didn't do a good job and didn't bring a great spark to this team, but if you could have had Greg Olson instead of him last year, you know, what would this team have looked like? Would the would the passing game look like it did when Will Disley was healthy or would it would it look like the version it was at the end of the season. So But do you have injury concerns when it comes to him as well? Because he hasn't played a full well, yeah. season and to, since 2016, and that could very well happen to him here in Seattle as well. So are you willing to take the flyer with the expense when you know that you might not be getting a full season? Yeah. I, I think when you look at his production, though, in his 14 games last season, 52 receptions, 597 yards. I doubt he reaches either of those numbers here in Seattle. But, I mean, if he could get – 30 receptions for 350 to 400 yards. You add that to what Jacob Hollister did at the tight end spot when he became the starter. You add that to, you know, Lockett and Metcalf. I think it, if you have this amount of weapons, I think the Seahawks would be foolish to continue to run the ball as much as they do because you're just going to be surrounding Russell Wilson with more and more people to throw to. I think we, we kind of look at the wide receiver position. That's going to be something they address in the draft, I think you bring in Greg Olson. That might be a, a, a signal that to Russell Wilson specifically, like, hey, you said you wanted us to go get you weapons. Well, here's one. And we know that Olson and Wilson spoke to each other at the Super Bowl because they took a picture together. And Russell Wilson, it. Russell mm-hmm. kind of confirmed it on his Twitter account when uh, the I think someone que- uh, rose up the question, like, I wonder what Russell Wilson and Greg Olson could be talking about. And Russell was like, you know. I think you still got something left in the tank, and that to, to me too is one of your greatest selling points. Because where do you who, who do you want to catch passes from? 
And yeah. Josh Russell, Allen, Russell, Dwayne Haskins, or Russell Wilson. Mm. Uh, that sells itself. Yeah. The one thing, though, that we didn't mention in this whole conversation is the the booth coming and offering him some big-time money to come back up and be in the media and leave classic media, leave it to them to screw up the situation. <laughs> the lamestream media, you mean? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. No, but I, in all seriousness, that that's some guaranteed money. True. Your body, you don't have to physically put your body on the line again. You can still continue to be around the game and be a part of the game, which I think a lot of people, when they leave any sport, they struggle with that sort of void that the game leaves when they're gone. But we've also heard from Brock and from former athletes that say they would give anything to have one more year, one oh, more right, opportunity yeah. to play at the sacrifice of their body, at the sacrifice of some money. So I think. He, it's clear that he is on that trajectory and going to have a career in broadcasting no matter what. So there's probably tons of money to be made for him in the future. I think he probably would say, hey, if I feel like I can do this at least one more year, I'm going to do it. Because I don't want to have any regrets when it comes to having been able to play one more time. I'm looking at Greg Olson's stats right now. And the one that I'm, I'm really drawn to is that catch percentage. And he historically has been a very efficient tight end when it comes to catch percentage, which is interesting because the quarterback he has caught the most passes from is Cam Newton, who is not necessarily known as a very accurate passer. So I think that kind of speaks to Olsen's ability to still catch the ball, even this last year coming off the two injury plate seasons in 17 and 18 and 2019, catching from Kyle Allen and Will Greer. He was still over 60%. He had 63.4% of his targets that he finished with a reception. I think he still has stuff left in the tank, especially if you're putting up numbers like that with quarterbacks who are decidedly not Russell Wilson. To me, that that looks like a guy who, yeah, there are these question marks about how much would he make here, what number of targets would he get, but if you're bringing in somebody who's not going to be expected a lot of and they're going to put up those kinds of numbers, I'm okay with bringing in Greg Olson. I really am, and and if it does come down today, we get the news, which hopefully it's today, and we don't have to keep playing this waiting game. Greg yeah. Watch, twenty twenty. Yeah. yeah, is it Greg Watch or Olson Watch? We're, mm. we're... I don't know. G Greg Watch. You t- yeah. Mm. No. 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 This is a family friendly show on Saturday mornings. One Saturday morning. But yeah, Greg Olson. Do you want him here in Seattle? Text that into seven ten. 7-10, should Seattle add the veteran tight end on a one-year deal, give Russell Wilson some more weaponry to play with? Uh, we, we, there were a couple other veterans here, and quickly before we go to break, uh, Josh Norman, he's a free agent now. Washington released him yesterday. And also a guy who, very familiar here in, in town, Paul Richardson. Quickly, either one of those guys, would you be okay with taking a flyer on? I think money-wise, more realistic to get Paul Richardson and have him come in and be a role player in that rotation for the receivers. You just need some more bodies there because you have Tyler, you have DK, you have the big ones that you need. Start to fill in a little bit behind them and make sure that they can take some of the pressure off those guys and give them the looks they need. Josh Norman, probably a little too expensive, may cost us a few players down the road. So I don't see them doing Josh Norman, but Paul Richardson I could definitely see. Yeah, P. Rich, I'm in on that. I still can't get the uh, image out of my mind of Doug Baldwin burning Josh Norman so hard like uh, on the line, off yeah. the line of scrimmage that I, I just can't get that out of my head for the money. So I'm, I, I'm with Taylor on this. P. Rich, sure. 
Coming up next, our buddy and yours, Brock Heward, he's going to be on the sidelines today for the Dragons and Vipers game. He sat down with our very own Lydia Cruz earlier in the week. Uh, We will give you that conversation as they preview the Dragons-Vipers game today. That's coming your way. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Right now I'm lucky enough to be joined by our own Brock Heward. What, what's your title now? Are you going with the field analyst approach? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, field analyst. I feel like you should create field your reporter. own. Field yeah. reporter slash analyst. Field report list. <laughs> what were your first impressions? And a porter. <laughs> of, yes. of the XFL week one. We saw you on the sidelines uh, maybe too much mm-hmm. because the repeat of your great facial expressions. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't too much for me, but what were your first impressions of you know, XFL? It turns out week that one? was Menifee, by the way. <gasps> Like, it would have passed. Oh, yeah. And maybe the diehards would have noticed. Maybe Lydia Cruz watching would have. I definitely did. The Round first time. One. Yeah, you did. And the diehards would have. But maybe the masses would not. But Menifee gets into the producer. And I didn't hear any of this. He was telling us this story on our podcast this week that he's like, oh, my gosh, to the producer. You got to play that again. And <laughs> you guys didn't see Brock. I did. He made a really special face. And uh, so, yeah, they just slow-moed and did all that. And you just got to take one for the team. You do whatever it takes in the opening week. Lydia, I thought it was much, much better football. And I knew from the time I landed last Thursday in Houston, and all of a sudden I walked in and saw the crew that Fox assembled and their brand new truck. So they, they invested in a truck, which they'll use next year in college football. You had the number one director who had flown from the Super Bowl. So he did the Super Bowl with 98 cameras and that scene and that spectacle and maybe the hardest sporting event in the world to direct. You have that guy who's done that for decades at Fox. And then his name's Rich Russo. And then the number one college football producer, Charles McDonald, who is tremendous. Um, And when I looked at that truck and their personnel and their people, I went, man, this can be really good. Like all I got to do, like is joining a great team. Joel Klatt's an absolute pro. I've worked with Kurt Menefee doing Seahawks preseason. So any anxiety of, oh, gosh, I don't know what to expect. What are we going to do here? What's this going to look like? Sound like it's over. It was over because when you're on a really good team, just like with a player, like, great. I may have a little anxiety because I've never done this, but when I'm surrounded by this cast, this is going to work. And I thought our broadcast, and we left it, and I thought, man, there was no major cast. If you would have seen just the amount of mics and open and cameras and new shots and new rules and all this newness, and to not have any real controversy, to not have any real debacle, to not have any real technical issue on our game, was a real credit to that team that I thought put on a pretty good display. Yeah, it was very impressive. And now, so this number one crew joined by the number one field slash body analyst. Mm. That's going to be my new name the, for you. You want to call it? Yeah. Field I, body analyst? Field and body analyst. Field and body analyst. Yes, <laughs> those, those are uh, yes areas that I excel in. Okay, yes. perfect. Yeah, I get to jump in. And I'm just doing the first three weeks. And I get to do the, the Dragons at home the next two weeks. So this so Fox cool. crew is coming in. And beyond that, I don't know um, how much longer. I didn't even know, frankly, that I was going to do this until about a week before when I think some of their other plans with other active NFL players did not uh, did not fall through or fell through. And I was like, yeah, I'll jump on, especially two home games and with that crew. So it was, but this isn't about me, our crew. The product, most importantly, was also very good on the field. Well, that loss is our gain because we are really excited to see you call this game mm-hmm. at home. Now hearing that 25,000 people are going to be in the building on Saturday. And who knows? I'm optimistic. Maybe we get it up to 30,000 that we yes. see. What's that going to be like? They're not trying to compete with the Seahawks, but Mm-mm. 
What do you think that'll be like? You know, and you'd be someone good to talk to now because I'll bounce a little of this your way. Is I I feel this generation of sports fan and certainly the you know the folks younger than me and you fit in that camp, just like to be a part of something. You know, whether it's your J slammer, right? Like your J slammers, yeah. right? You all got this cool. You guys are a part of something, and you'll go watch an event together at a sports bar, and you know, you got your little T-shirts or whatever. But we're like a part of something. We've watched this with the Sounders catch fire in this town. Like we are a part of something that scarves up, and we're gonna have that. And the MLS has really captured that mentality. And soccer, I think, through the generations, has done that anyway, especially overseas. It is a you know a family, and we're gonna in this thing together, and in a real community. But unlike 20 years ago, when this thing started, there was not that same sense. And you have more of that in this like sports culture today. And when I was leaving that stadium in Houston, like the line for the merchandise was out the gate. Truly, it was out the gate for hours after that game. A lot of selling it sold out. out online. It did. Yeah. Because people were like, man, I, I want to be a part of this thing. I want to be on the ground level. And we'll take some risk in doing that because if this is a really cool deal, like I can be a part of this community from the ground floor. The XFL didn't have that 20 years ago. The AAF last year started to, but then did not have the funding, did not have the exposure, did not throw the best of the best at it, both coaches and players and, and broadcasts and everything. Uh, they've got a chance to kind of capture that. And, yeah, I think Seattle will be rocking Saturday afternoon. It's so unique that you actually get to be on the ground floor of something mm-hmm. because sports, it's based so much on tradition, but now here you have an opportunity to start those traditions. It's and- everything about the game day experience that you we take for granted when we go to the Seahawks game, the, the raising of the flag, everything. You get to be a part of those traditions from day one. And that was not lost on our room. Like, that was one of the last things, and Kurt Menefee had said that yeah. in our production meeting the night before. That was the last thing, like, hey, by the way, this this one will be remembered. Like, if this thing is able to be done the right way, and if the players can stay healthy, and frankly, that's one of my biggest concerns. You have 52 on a roster, and like the NFL, they cut down to 46. That's not a lot of bodies, right? Um, you know, they, they did the right thing and threw a lot of resources at coaches, at facilities, at uniforms, at the broadcast to do a lot of things the right way. I hope these guys stay healthy over 10 weeks and as hard as they played week one. <laughs> and I think the Dragons only lost one player. Uh, Richardson, the lineman, is going to be the only one out from week one. That's a positive. Silvers gets banged up in the game. The game I did, a QB separated his shoulder. Last year in the AAF, you saw a lot of players and quarterbacks in particular getting hit because these dudes are cutting it loose. These defensive guys are playing with reckless abandon. These guys want to put tape out there and get back in the league. So they are playing hard. They're playing fast. They're hitting hard. So, Lydia, that's the one kind of concern I have is, man, I just want these guys, many of whom have sacrificed their bodies for the last three or four years to get this chance and get in, get back in the league. I hope they can stay healthy. Other than maintaining the health of the rosters, Brock, what do teams and the XFL as a whole need to do to create an entertaining product every single week to keep fans coming back for more than just the novelty of tuning in for the first time? Yeah, you need to see good football. And you saw a bunch of it, and some of it in big spurts in some of these games. The game we covered had three quarters wow. of really yeah. good, compelling football. In the fourth quarter, the L.A. kind of got blown out and, and ran out of gas. Good, Houston does look good. You know, the, the, the Dragons-D.C. game was, was awesome, right? That, that had some spurts of some really high-level, wow. That's a big time play. That's a big time hit. That is, that is big time. That's an NFL play. You know, it's kind of like AAA baseball to some degree. There are a lot of guys that can play. Um, you know, I heard an analyst say this, and and I think he was right. 
These are players 40 through 53 on an NFL roster. Yeah, I think it might have been Greg McElroy. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what you were. That's right. That's exactly what it was. It was in the Dragon game. It's like these are, uh, you know, or Luke and Bill. Well, those two guys were talking about that and bouncing it back and forth. You know, Lano Hill and Tedrick Thompson and take 40 through 53 on the Seahawks roster. And you could have put them in those games last weekend and they'd have been right in line with a bunch of those other receivers and running backs and safeties and maybe not O-line and D-line. Those are hard to find. Those are hard commodities. But a bunch of those guys are right there on the verge and have been on NFL rosters. So to just continue the solid play, the playmaking, they like, wow, that was, you know, to get a field analyst to have a goofy-looking face. That's what you need more and more of. Character, because Elijah Hood jumping over somebody full speed like Chris Carson did, that, that's kind of the breathtaking playmaking that you need that, frankly, a bunch of these dudes are capable of. They just need to kind of sustain it over the next nine weeks. You just got to let Brock cook. You got to let, let Brock that Brock's special face cook. Face cook. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that special guy down there. <laughs> well, one thing I think that could be working in their favor is that there might be a lot of parody in this league because we saw Tampa Bay falling to the Guardians. Mm-hmm. It was pretty much just an entire blowout, and that was Vegas's odds-on favorite to yep. win the championship. So yep. there might actually be a lot of parody in this league, which I think could help. What do you know about Mark Tressman, the way he likes to play, and what we could see on Saturday? Yeah, I think as well, you know, we talk about a lot about the players, but you got Pep Hamilton, who was a NFL coordinator in a high-level college coordinator. Jim Zorn was an NFL head coach and a, and a play caller and an unbelievable QB All coach. All with ties to their community, yes. where they're coaching. Mark Tressman is a guy that's coached X's and O's at the highest level. June Jones, like you go through the list of these head coaches, and you know, especially those I just wrote, Kevin Gilbride up in New York. Those guys know good football. They know X's and O's. Randy Mueller is the director of football ops in Houston, and he was a longtime Seahawk guy. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think a part of the Seahawks when they drafted me, and then he was an executive of the year with the Saints, and he built the Dolphins. He'd been around, and he pulled me aside the night before we were in an event. He said, gosh, June Jones is a really good X's and O's guy. He's like, I knew he was good, but being around this, like you get why all of his teams forever have moved the ball because he knows what he's doing. So you watch Tressman, they move the ball up and down the field. They had like 400 yards of offense. Yeah. They just threw a pick in the end zone. They fumbled in the red zone. They fumbled again going in. Like they had a lot of opportunities. So that ball did not stall. And you're going to see them, I think, move the ball. Uh, come Saturday afternoon, and kind of like the Dragons did. They gave the ball away three times. Both of the 0-1 teams that will be playing each other can look at them in the mirror and go, yep, oh, you did the same thing I did. Oh, yep, you screwed that up the same way I did. So which team corrects that ultimately is going to be the team that wins. And the team that's 0-2 is going to be in a bad spot because with a 10-game season, you can't afford to lose it. So not only the sense of urgency for these players to go play at the next level, the sense of urgency that you can't be 0-2 will be on their minds, and thus I think we'll have a good one Saturday as well. One thing that might be benefiting them too is Tampa Bay getting in on Friday. They'll still yes. be playing their second road game in a row, and that's just a tough travel schedule. On a short week, they played up in New York. They flew home, had a couple days to practice. You're right, they will fly across the country. That is a long flight. From Tampa and Miami up to Seattle, uh, I've had the misfortune of doing that a lot of times. <laughs> that is a long, long, long flight, and they're not flying the NFL big, you know, special planes, charters, stretching out. And there's no Seahawk, you know, sitting in first class or Viper sitting in first class with the coaches in the back. It, is, yeah, they'll get in Friday and then have to turn around and play a two o'clock Saturday. So there's some opportunity here for the Dragons to get right. All right, now, finally, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of fans that are just there to watch you on Saturday, Brock. It'll be uh, clamoring for interaction, but 
What are you most looking forward to about Saturday? Well, my peers that do this job, the Bruce Feldmans and Allison Williams and Shannon Spakes through the years, and I heard from some of them, were like so mad. Like, A, <laughs> how much FaceTime did you get? <laughs> right? They never get that FaceTime. And B, you got to go anywhere and everywhere. So you'll be at the game Saturday, mm-hmm. and you're going to see me literally running around, sideline to sideline, and up and down the sidelines. And I'm going to get standing, video of this, by the way, because yes. I'll be on the sidelines. So I'll just, there you go. I'll just you'll maybe be, right be there. covering bra. Yes, and I get like total free reign they told the the coaches and the players said listen if you're going to play in this league or coach in this league here's the only rule you are going to be at any and all times available and accessible to our broadcast partners so i'll be standing right next to jim zorin and while he'll try to cover the play call sheet up with his deal even though he's <laughs> oh, mic'd up you, coach. yes uh i will be right there i'll be able to interact with him and players and coaches so the, the nfl there are so many rules and regulations college football really limits the access you got to go through pr people and you got to talk to their staff and you got to I can be in the injury tent, right? Like there's total free reign. So, yeah, that is uh, that's a really cool opportunity for me on the field to be an analyst, but also just access to talk to these guys and these coaches and bring in real time what they're feeling. Well, hopefully you'll be sitting down with slash running after a lot of Seattle Dragons players on Saturday for yep. a lot of positive conversations. Yes, I think you got a good chance. I think this is a get right. There were a lot of good things in that game. Austin right? Prol, oh, hello. he was phenomenal, and and. You know, I thought Brandon played well. He had a couple that he, you know, kind of forced a little bit, which is to be expected. That kid can throw the ball. Silverstone throw the ball. Was he throwing like bullets? He Maybe th- was he throwing like them on those short passes sometimes? A little hard. A yeah. Little hard. Yeah, that's a little bit of just, I that's don't know fixable. for sure. So I'm going to make sure I get it there without any interception. Threw a little hard. Yeah, I, I think there's easily correctable things and there's enough talent to be put on display. And hopefully Kaysen gets back at some time so we can Oof. watch him run and jump as well. Seattle will go crazy for that. Well, thank you so much, Brock Heward field and body analyst. You can watch him on the broadcast this weekend on Fox, along with Kurt Menefee, along with Joel Klatt. And by the way, Brock and Salk podcast available now, and Kurt Menefee is going to be on it. So That's exactly right. Perfect. So if you, if you liked a little bit of that XFL talk, Kurt went a little bit further, too. And Lydia, this was a blast. I'm happy for you. You keep doing your thing every morning. You're running the show. You're getting this opportunity, and we'll see you on the field Saturday as well. That's where where a lot of us are going to be yeah. today. Uh, over at CenturyLink Fields, the Dragons take on the Tampa Bay Vipers. Shout out to Brock Hewitt stopping by, joining our very own, we're going to claim here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Heck yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though you're... Everywhere. Claimed. Yeah. Take that, everybody else. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you can check that out on the podcast page, 710sports.com. Click on podcasts there. Dragons Insider Podcast available for subscription, too. Coming up next, Mariners Spring Training Week 1 is already in the books. Some big headlines, Mitch Haniger, Taiwan Walker, Jared Kelnick making friends everywhere he goes. We get into that next Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. What do bad tattoos have to do (laughs) with the Astros banging scheme? There's a connection, and we're going to tell you coming up in the 10 a.m. hour because more and more details get trickled out, and it is... I mean, I can't get enough of this story. It's a reality television show that is I couldn't have planned out. I couldn't have plotted better to start the baseball season. And, you know, this is a baseball-loving show. Yes. I don't think we could have predicted the amount of drama that would come out of this. But I can't get enough. Let's go. Here for it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we 100%. Both said it. <laughs>
All about it. Keep it coming. Oh, man. Yeah, more and more details get trickled out about just how deep this went, why the Astros did it. I mean, even mm-hmm. more stuff today. It's it's never-ending, and it gives us great, great stuff to talk about. So we'll get into that coming up in the 10 o'clock hour. But the Mariners, this week, they reported to Peoria, Arizona for spring training. I mean, it is – yeah, we all know the Mariners this year are not in any sort of spot to contend for a playoff position, but, man, it just feels so good to hear the pop of the mitts, the crack of the bats. The cleats walking yeah, across it's... concrete on the way to the field. Oh, yeah. It's perfect. Oh, I love it. I it's love it. Soundtrack to just, I don't know, hope, future, uh, the summer ahead, yes. all of it. And the Mariners this week, the the two biggest headlines came from guys that, uh, you know, we all kind of, we these two guys are tied to each other forever, at least in terms of Mariners fans, because it was such a monumental trade when it happened. The Mariners were so close to making a run at the postseason. They fought, or they thought, you know, getting Gene Segura and Mitch Haniger for Taiwan Walker was going to be the move that put them over the top. Unfortunately, it's Cattell Marte going in that deal as well, and he yeah. wasn't the shortstop of the now, in, at least at the time. So they went and got Segura because they thought he could fill that role. But, then Marte sort of took off. Yeah, was, what's yeah. that? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Mitch and Taiwan, though, in in the last couple of years, they've both dealt with a lot of injuries. One guy coming back, one guy still dealing with those injuries. Taiwan Walker, he's back with the Mariners, one year deal. What do we we talked about it in the big three today, but just the Taiwan Walker move, I don't see how this could be anything but good for either side because there are no expectations for him really. And it's a one year deal, one year prove it deal. He's coming off Tommy John surgery, so maybe the Mariners were able to buy low on him. I look at this and I, I say, Why wasn't this move made earlier in the offseason? Uh, yeah, it's baffling that we just sort of heard this news as a surprise. He was hanging out in the clubhouse with uh, on pitchers and catchers report date, I believe, right? And mm-hmm. then we just heard Taiwan's in the clubhouse. He's talking to some old friends. Interesting. Mm. And then looks like Taiwan's going to sign. And I think Mariners Twitter collectively uh, just excited. I didn't see any negative response to this because he was beloved when he was here. And a lot of people, it was a bummer to watch him go. And then to see him have to struggle through – you know, a few years because it was a shoulder injury, I think, first that sidelined him. Um, and then Tommy John the next year, unfortunately. And, yeah, he got in one game in 2019, I think, pitched a, pitched one inning maybe even, which gave him some motivation going into the off season. But, yeah, this is one of those where it just all seemed to line up perfectly. It's very low risk. You have, you know, a little money to spend if, if necessary. Maybe he does even really well before the trade deadline and you're able to – send him somewhere where he can go and compete. Uh, and then maybe next year he's even back here. You don't know. There's so many possibilities with this. Plus, he's just he's a mature player. He's going into his seventh season, even though he's only, what, 27 years old? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And he's out of high school drafted. The, you mentioned it there, the risk, right? There's not a lot of risk. When you're trying to build a team for the future and get these young guys up, you're going to need pieces like Taiwan Walker in their late 20s, early 30s to sort of bridge the gap be both a leader in the clubhouse to these young guys who are coming up and also help the Mariners get some results on the field and, and, and get some of these wins so it's not completely impossible to build a winning culture because you've been losing so much. So, I mean, uh, I think someone said the difference between a 63-win season and a 75-win season is enormous just in the mentality of the players and what they feel afterwards. So, 
if he can help provide a few extra wins and a few extra outings and just a few extra appearances to help this team get a few more W's this season and make it a little bit more entertaining, I'm all here for it. I I look at Taiwan Walker, and it's so weird to look at him now as – a veteran presence in yeah. a clubhouse. Said like he feels like the old guy. The wily, the wily veteran. Yeah. <laughs> but at one time, he was a top prospect in baseball. He was a top ten arm in the game. You know, in terms of you know guys who hadn't made it to the majors yet, and he did make it to the majors. He's had you know varying degrees of success at the major league level. But to have a guy who has had sort of that phenom tag on him especially with other guys in the camp right now. And we heard from Jared Kelnick on Tom, Jake, and Stacey earlier in the week. It was a tremendous interview, if you haven't checked that out. Yeah, we'll play you some sound in just a moment from that. Yeah. um, But to have a guy who has sort of had lofty expectations placed on his career and to make it to the major league level, like it's it's so tough to even get to the big leagues, but to also do it with, you know, you're under the microscope of so many people, to have somebody with that kind of experience in your clubhouse, I think that's going to be beneficial to the Kelnicks and the Rodriguez's and the, the Logan Gilberts, the George Kirby's, all these guys. The Mariners have all of a sudden, which, you know, it was two years ago they were the worst farm system in baseball. Now they're number five. You know, there's a lot of people in this organization that, you know, are, are really young. They've went from a really old team to a really young team really quickly, and uh, Jerry DePoto told us that was what's going to happen, and it certainly happened. He reminds me of Marco in a lot of ways. They're both, I think, the same age. They both have been through Tommy John surgery. They're both first-round picks, not in the style of pitcher that they are necessarily, but in the way that they've assumed a leadership role sort of at a young age. They've both dealt with a lot of adversity. And I think that you're right. Anytime you can bring that steadying veteran presence, now especially with question marks on Mitch Hanniger and when he'll be back, because that's the other thing on the on the hitting side. On the position player side, I still think that you need that and you'll be searching for that because Mitch was going to be that guy or provide some of that stability on the hitting side. But adding another person who uh, leads by example, who is a great presence in the clubhouse, can only help them through the development phase. It's Yeah, and you look at Hanniger, he's going to be out for who knows how long. That leaves open a competition in the right field spot for Jake Fraley, Braden Bishop, Carlos Gonzalez, who knows who's going to get that Argo. one. Yeah, Cargo Let's Carlos go. Gonzalez. If that if that move happened in 2010, I'd be like, oh my gosh. Yeah, he but, was one of the most exciting players to watch when he was in his prime. And yeah, it's unfortunate that he's coming here sort of on the tail end of his career. But he it, once hit for the cycle, and then the the end was a walk off home run to win the game for the Rockies. I want to see that power swing. I was going to say the swing is sweet, and we're used to sweet swings here in Seattle. And say that six times fast. I think like he he. <laughs> Hit one off Bumgarner one time, definitely went into the cove, but I just felt like that ball went forever. And I know he's several years out from being the all-star that he was, but again, a person that could provide some of that veteran leadership. Let's just quickly talk about Mitch Hanniger because I don't know if people heard the update on him about the second surgery. Yeah, yesterday, Jerry DePoto and Scott Service gave an update on Mitch Hanniger. He had another setback in his recovery from uh, another surgery that he had just three weeks ago. So it's just one on top of another on top out. of the injury that put him out for the season's second half last year. You know, it's unfortunate that he's kind of getting this label as injury prone, but in his, what, three years with the Mariners, he's only gone through one of them healthy all the way through. So, yeah, Hanniger, is, we don't know if there's any sort of timetable on his return, but uh, we will definitely keep you updated as that situation develops. Coming up next, baseball back across Major League Baseball. The Astros keep digging their own grave. We get into it. And the big three coming up next, Seattle Sports Saturday.